Welcome back. This is episode 32, ADHD in time blindness. There are seven ways that we experience time blindness. And as we're going through this, I want you to see how many of these you can check off. You don't win a prize or a trophy, but what you do win is awareness. Because as I've said so many times recently, we can't fix we can't learn from or grow or improve upon anything that we don't know and so step one is always understanding what is happening when it's happening in yourself in your children in your parents in your siblings in your co-workers the more that you understand this in yourself and others the better you can adjust your actions or your words. Before we go through all of these and you feel seen, heard, validated, called out, all of the things, I want to remind you that time is simply an emotion. And as we have spent the last few episodes talking about, we can struggle with regulating those. This is nothing more than that. I want you to keep that in mind. Time is simply an emotion. It can feel like an eternity or it can feel like no time has passed. It is all on how you feel and experience that time. So we're going to get right into it. There are seven. We are starting with number one, getting completely lost in a task. Hyperfixation, my fave. This is a good one for us because if we are hyper fixated on something, we are in it. We are in the zone. Like time does not exist here. We put off tasks like sleeping, eating, using the bathroom. They just don't exist. It's not even like the thought comes in our mind. We are on a one track train, whatever we are focused on and we could do it forever. There is like endless dopamine there for us. And so we stay in that task usually longer than we realize. But again, nothing else matters. You miss appointments, you miss meals, you don't go to sleep, you don't use the restroom. Like any of these things, all other tasks and time does not exist when we are in hyperfixation. And hyperfixation mode can last hours, days, months, and then it can end and change course so fast. Like my mom, after I was diagnosed and when I finally had a conversation with her because I had to prep myself for the conversation that I wanted to have with her because especially the way that my evaluation went down given a bipolar 2 diagnosis, that is what my mom always thought and that is what my mom saw. And to her credit, that's what it looks like. That is what it looks like because the trauma and the addiction and the ADHD combined looks way more intense like bipolar 2 than it does ADHD. And so it's important to know that trauma and or addiction change the presentation of ADHD, making it look 
more like bipolar too. I had to get to a place where I could focus on how I wanted that conversation to go. What did I want the outcome to be like? I wanted to end up on the same page as her, so I didn't want it to feel like I was challenging her. And so I had to do some work there, but when I did, you know, she was given the questionnaire when my little sister was being evaluated. I was the first one in my family to be diagnosed with ADHD. And since um, my sister and my cousin have sought out their own diagnosis. So she told me that the form that she filled out for my sister's screening, she said all of that, like checked, like, yep, that's her, that's her, that's her. And she didn't really see that in me. Then she said, I do have one question. I don't know if this is ADHD or not. And I was like, yeah, what is it? Like, please ask. And she said, well, when you were younger, you would start something and you were all about it, hyperfixation, and you got really good at it. And then all of a sudden you would quit and you would start something else. And I was like, yeah, that's classic ADHD. Uh, so I think there should be, I've seen memes on this. I really do think there should be like an ADHD fixation equipment swap. Like anybody need a keyboard? I no longer want to, you know, learn how to play the piano. Oh yes. Does anyone have gardening equipment? Cause I'm taking up that hyper fixation right now. And I, it would be so beneficial for us all because we really truly believe like this is what we want to do so we need all the equipment we like we don't half ass this shit right we go all in we get all this stuff and then we switch or we change our mind or what usually happens is we mastered the task and then it's no longer challenging for us we thrive in the challenge because we love to figure shit out. Like this is why people with ADHD and even autism are so crazy successful and business, like they think outside of the box. They are always on the drive for the dopamine. We have, we're like dopamine hunters in life. And you know, there will be a whole separate episode on ADHD as a superpower because fuck it is. But if you don't recognize it and you don't know what it is, it doesn't feel like a superpower. Yes, I switched from one hyperfixation to the next, to the next, to the next. And that was the only thing that my mom saw that was actually ADHD. So she was right on the money. That is definitely an ADHD thing. But when we are in hyperfixation, time does not exist. So that is also one of our issues. That is issue number one with time blindness. Number two, freezing into a waiting mode. I hate this one. I hate this one, <laughs> but I, I definitely have it as well. If I have a meeting or an appointment in the afternoon, my, day, my whole day can be shot because you don't want to miss the appointment. You don't want to get stuck in number one. You don't want to get stuck in a hyperfixation mode and time doesn't exist here. And oh, it's three o'clock and our appointment was at 2.30 and we've now missed it. And then we have to do our favorite thing, make a phone call. Hate that, I'm out. Like there's so many <laughs> layers and issues with this. 
And it makes it so hard for us if we don't understand. I'm laughing about it now because now that I understand this is a brain thing and not a Melissa fucked up thing, I don't put the blame, the shame, and the guilt on myself. So I can laugh about these ADHD things now, which was the biggest switch from me needing meds to not needing meds. Yes, I still have time blindness here or there. I do have tools, tips, and tricks that I will share with you that are very helpful. And I have done a lot of work and my brain has actually done exercises to get better at things, but the blame, the shame, and the guilt is gone. Now I just laugh it off, right? I mean, I'm not saying that I don't get frustrated if I miss things, but then I just take it for what it is. And I'm like, okay, well next time we're gonna set an alarm or we'll do this or that, getting to the tips. But, so time avoidance, freezing, waiting mode, whatever you wanna call it, when you have something in the later that day, therefore you can't do anything, that is a form of time blindness. Uh, you know, for me, I was, I was often afraid to be late. I was afraid to get left behind. I would, I was afraid that I would miss it. And if I miss a piece of the puzzle, my brain is usually stuck on that piece and it can't move forward. So if I miss part of an explanation, I'm lost. If I miss part of a demonstration, I could be lost. And, you know, thinking back to my younger days and things like that in school, but so many of our reactions and our emotions now regarding time as an adult were shaped when we were young. And so understanding and seeing this in your kids, understanding where the struggle was for you is helpful in healing some of that so that you can react and respond differently like were you always yelled at a lot as a kid for being late were you being rushed out the door at the last minute and everyone was stressed were you the last one picked up from after school activities did you have to use a payphone to call and see if parents were coming to get you because this shit's hereditary <laughs> uh so a lot of that and though also on that front seeing that for what it was and not and changing the meaning, as if you go back to the last episode, changing the meaning of what those events were, what they actually were. I was not being forgotten. I wasn't barely a thought. I wasn't a problem. I was an, it was an issue with time. It was an issue with time blindness. And that again, it takes it off of me. It takes it off of all these things that I told myself that I was the problem because that was the reaction that I got. There was a reaction that led to that. Well, yeah, when I, if I forgot to pick up my kid, I'd be irritated too. And if I can't regulate my emotions, it's probably going to come out negative. Like, I'm so stressed. Well, I have a million things to do. Those things are still in my mind but they're not the focus. If you go back to the last episode, I'm not focused on just me. I'm focused on who I wanna be to them. So anyways, number three. We usually do not have an accurate idea of how long a task will take. 
this is a big one. <laughs> you probably have certain tasks that you hate doing. And it usually has something to do with you don't know how long it's going to take. Like checking emails. Like deleting emails. Answering a phone call. Calling to make an appointment. I hate doing those things because then I get sucked into it or I get distracted. Or if I'm calling to make an appointment, what do I need? I don't know what I need. Do I need a calendar? Do I need like five minutes? Do I need 10 minutes? What are they going to ask me? Like, where do I have to go? Like, what I there's so many steps involved in other than just calling to make the appointment. And then there's the stress of, well, what time of the day do I make the appointment? Because if I make it in the afternoon, oh, well, now I'm in a freezing waiting mode for the day. And if I make it in the morning, that's my best time. Am I really going to get, am I going to get my stuff done? Like, there's just, it doesn't stop. That's a task for me that I avoid because I don't know how long it will take. But there's also tasks, I mean, just an issue with time blindness regardless is that we don't know how long things will take to complete them so we how many times have you put off something pretty important for months and then it took you maybe an hour like all the time guilty um and answering the phone i don't know how long i'm gonna get stuck on that phone what if i'm not really in a people talking mood because that happens. Like if my energy is like in downtime, I don't want to like bring it up, right? Just text us. Please text us. Stop calling us. Just text us. I'm just going to FYI, do us all a favor and please start, stop calling and start texting. I will, I will reply. Uh, it might take me months because sometimes I will open the text and I'm not really in the place to respond and then I have every intention on coming back to it but time blindness sometimes I'll end up coming back and being like oh I just texted a friend this week and she sent me a text in August and I haven't replied yet so my first text I like wanted to reach out and I opened up the conversation and I was like shit so I sent her a text that said oh hey Six months later, how you doing? And we both had a good laugh and it's fine, but this is real, like this happens. Your friend did not forget about, well, she might've forgotten about you in no negative ways. She's not ignoring you. Send a courtesy text, send a courtesy follow-up text before you give it a meaning and you give it an action as in you're mad, you're mistreated. Give them the benefit of the doubt and send them a friendly time blindness text because you could be waiting for six months. And for some cases, some relationships won't last six months. So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm throwing myself under the bus. You are not alone. And when you do these things, it's really hard for us to come back after a time where we have ghosted or something like this so I always like to keep it fun and I'm not making fun of myself but I'm laughing at the situation like oh hey six months later 
ADHD. How are you? And I just like ADHD is just another person up there. And when that that one goes off, I'm like, hey man, that's all you. That, that is not me. That is all you. And I'm just gonna give you the credit for it up there. But here's a tip on this one. For the tasks that you do all the time, for the tasks that you do on a regular basis, start timing yourself to see how long they take. Because we are usually off by three, either like divide it by three or multiply it by three. We are usually that far off. Like how long does it take you to fold a load of laundry? How long does it take you to clean the bathroom or to tidy up the kitchen? How long does it take you to go to the gym? to drive to the school, to go to the grocery store and back. Like how long do these tasks take? Because we usually think, oh yeah, I can do three of those things in an hour and each one takes an hour. Like that's what I mean when I say we are like three times off. Like we think we can do things in an hour and they take three hours or we think they will take three hours and they only take an hour. Either way, usually the second one, we're putting it off because we think it's going to take so much more time. Loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, time yourself on that task. Ask yourself first, first write down how long you think it takes to unload the dishwasher and then time yourself unloading the dishwasher and see if you were off or on. If you have trauma around time, you might have developed some trauma responses that have helped you along the way. Don't dog those. For whatever reason, I am organized because I was unorganized and it caused a lot of trauma. Like whatever, whatever way you got the skill doesn't matter. If you got the skill, keep it, right? Time yourself on how long it takes you. Oh, it's time to go get the kids. Just hit a timer stopwatch on your watch and like grab your coat, go to the bathroom, do the things you do before you leave the house, get in the car and go and see how long that takes you because it probably you probably had five or 10 minutes, you know, finishing those few little tasks that we have to do before we leave the house. And for me, always using the bathroom, always, always, always. And <laughs> it's probably not the time you thought. So when you are trying to figure out what time you have to leave, work backwards. This is a great tip. When I need to be somewhere at 10 o'clock, I work backwards from 10. So at 10, then I minus out my commute time, getting into the car, getting out of the car, parking and walking. So I always add 10 minutes to whatever my travel time is. So travel time plus 10 minutes. Now we're at 9.15, right? So we're at 9.15 in the morning. How long does it take me to get dressed? to brush my teeth, brush my hair, to get my workout in. What do I have to do before I have to leave? Do I need to pack up like a lunch? What a snack. I never travel without food. So that's always a yes for me. Do I have my water? These things I add, I work backwards. And if I don't have time, you know what? I don't have time for a 45 minute workout. I'm gonna have to do that earlier or we're gonna have to wake up earlier. Do it later or we're gonna have to work out. Oh my goodness, we're gonna have to do it later or wake up earlier because I can't start whatever time I wake up and work forward. For whatever reason, I can't because I don't 
exactly know how long tasks will take and I can run out of time, but it is easier for me to work backwards. So when you're trying to make your plans, when you're trying to get somewhere on time, and I will even go as far as saying, if you know, if you are always half an hour late, always 15 minutes late, change the time of the event in your phone, in your planner. It no longer starts at 5.30, it starts at five o'clock for you. Do what you need to do. Oh, here is another tip. Something that I've started doing and it has made such a, a world of difference. Get yourself ready first. First and before you need to. So if you're working backwards from that four o'clock, two o'clock, all right, you have something at two o'clock where you need to be there. Well, now we know travel time, all that, we're back at 1.30 or 1.15. The old me would do all the other things I need to do or take that window that you usually have some downtime because you haven't started doing the things yet because you got to work up to that point. I have switched that downtime for me time. That is when I, if I want to curl my hair, I have the most amazing curling iron that does it for me. It is great because I use it and then I don't have to do jack shit to my hair for five days. So I love it. I'm obsessed. It is the Chi Air um, just because I love sharing what I love. Anyways, so I will get myself ready. If I want to put on any makeup, I do that. I pick out my outfit or I get dressed. If I am not ready to get dressed yet for the day, I pick out my outfit. Like it is either tried on and it fits good that day as a guarantee, and then it goes back on the bed, but knowing me, usually if I get dressed once, I'm staying in it because I don't like to undo and redo tasks. It seems so daunting to my brain. So anyways, I will get myself ready first. That eliminates so much of the stress. Then I don't feel resentful that I was doing all the things and helping everybody else get ready and there was no time for me. Again, you gotta think about these things and think them through. Every formal event I went to in high school, I showed up and my makeup had all been cried off. My, it's all, my face is all red and splotchy. My eyes are a beautiful color because they turn like teal when I cry. That's the only good thing I had going on. I was upset because all the things had to happen that day and or I had time avoidance, don't know how long things are going to take, freezing waiting mode, all of these things that we're talking about, or I got hyper fixated on looking through my bobby pins or who the knows what I found in my room and I got stuck on for three hours. But now I've put everything off until three o'clock when I have to leave at four. And then all the panic and sheer necessity is what makes me get ready. And now I'm at a heightened anxiety state. And then now we're going to be late. And now I'm the reason why we're late. And it's been pointed out that we had all day to get ready. And I waited until the last minute. Like, those words echo in my head <sighs> from so many times. And I share this with you because your kids may be stuck in this rut and helping them do it earlier might work in everyone's favor. Maybe a whole lot less tears. I don't know, stay tuned. So get yourself ready eliminate the stress that we put on others and that will go a long way 
right there. And then if they're freaking out at the last minute, you are there and ready to help them because you are already ready. Number four, not realizing how much time has passed. I feel like I could just say laundry and be done with this one, but we're going to keep going. We will start something and then again, time blindness, how much time has passed, cooking, laundry, anything. Set an alarm, set a timer. I'm sorry, I love you, I am here for you, but you will not remember at the right time. So set an alarm, set a timer for all things. Cooking, if you're not gonna be at the stove, if it is not at all making one, like my ADHD meals, I don't leave the stove. I am doing three things at once, but I'm always there. So there's no opportunity to burn the food. Like I pulled the box out of the trash three times because I must set a timer. <laughs> Can't remember, throw it in the trash, bring it out, read it, throw it in the trash. All these memes that I'm like, oh yeah, that's ADHD. All these things that I've like known and laughed about myself forever. Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's what that is. Cha-ching. Number five. Oh, um, one more thing on not realizing how much time has passed, setting alarms. I also like to use planners and I have a Janning system that I love. And it's a Janning practice that I do once a week, takes me anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, but it eases so much anxiety. It helps with my time blindness so much throughout the week that I've been doing it for a year now. And even if I miss a week, I'm right back the next week and it saves me so much time during the week. I know it doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up, but taking that 30 to 60 minutes on Sunday morning, it saves me so much time every day. Already having planned and thought about everything that I want to do that week, everything that I want to have done already, it helps me work backwards. There are six steps in it and I will also share the Janning tutorial in my Hot Mess Success community, the private community I have on Facebook where I record these podcast episodes live. If you're not in there, I highly recommend joining. So I will share the Janning tutorial in there. I absolutely love it because there's a part in it that's future-proofing. And so you're even thinking about what could go wrong this week. Could kids be homesick? You look at your schedule and you're already like bulletproofing your plan for the week. And then there's a part that is scripting and you are writing as if you're writing next week. So next Sunday and you're writing about how your week went down. You are envisioning already a week that feels good and how it feels good and what was done and all of this. And then you go back into your calendar for the week and you make sure, okay, if I want this done, I'm saying that I have this done, where am I doing that? And so it helps me work backwards because one of the biggest issues that we have is that non-working verbal memory. It is so hard for us to picture done because, and then if it's hard for us to picture done, it's even harder for us to line up the necessary steps that get us from start to done. 
and that's where the executive function comes into play and makes it really tricky. That's where we struggle with so many issues. So if you can, again, with the time blindness work backwards, but if you can even picture how you want your week to end and work backwards from there, that will help you set measurable goals and get the things on your calendar that you need to have on there to make those things happen. Just a tip, love that. Number five, I really hate this part of time blindness and I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but I know that so many of us struggle with it and it is that painful memories feel very fresh. So painful memories, grief, trauma, these things, time does not exist for our brain with them. If a if you experienced a loss 10 years ago, your brain could easily feel like that happened 10 hours ago. And when we are stuck in that time blindness, it's so hard to heal because whatever pain we have never feels like it gets further away. And I personally struggled with this a lot after my best friend's suicide. And I, I have a couple tips and a couple things that I recommend here, but one of the things that I wanna say is traditional talk therapy never worked for me for this because something that you need to understand about the time blindness and the trauma or the loss is that every time I talked about it to a doctor, every time I talked about it to anyone, it felt like it was happening all over again. And no matter what they said, it wasn't convincing my brain that time had passed and it couldn't feel that any time had passed. So it just felt like I was re-traumatizing myself over and over and over again. I did so much traditional talk therapy after the suicide for years and it never got any better. If anything, it just felt more fucked up because it still hurt the same, but other people had a whole lot less tolerance for it. When that trauma or that grief first happens, people are, are sympathetic, empathetic, caring, right? They're understanding. But when it has been years and it felt like, and it still feels that raw and fresh to you, they, you I felt, like people were at the, oh, that again. I could sense when the eyes would glaze over. I couldn't stop it, but I could see it. And so that is really hard because we are carrying around something that still feels very raw and very fresh and very exposed and open. And others are moving on and others are getting over it. And no matter what we say to ourselves or matter, no matter who we talk to, no matter what we do, we aren't. I did EMDR therapy. I'm pretty sure I have an episode all on EMDR. I did EMDR therapy in 2015 and this was 14 years after my best friend had committed suicide and it felt like 14 hours, 14 days. 
I still couldn't tell his story without crying. I was sober when I started therapy, but only newly sober. And before I got sober, anytime I got drunk, I would end up crying about him. By the end of the night, I was crying about Kirk. I wasn't healing. Healing wasn't happening because time wasn't passing in my brain. And you need time to heal. So I went to EMDR therapy and that was helpful. For the first time, I mean, I went to EMDR therapy for, for Kirk's suicide. And then it turns out it ended up bringing all kinds of stuff up from my childhood and all necessary stuff that needed healing but it did also change everything for me as far as dealing with that pain from his suicide. I didn't start sharing his story until after EMDR because I couldn't without getting so emotional and without further traumatizing myself as I shared it. And so I'm grateful because one, Carrying around something that heavy is heavy and yours, someone else's. I'm so very sorry if you are carrying it. I encourage you to reach out. EMDR is covered by insurance. Just look up EMDR therapy in your area with your insurance and make that phone call that we hate doing. Do it. Do it all for you. Make a spouse. Do it if you have one that will. Sometimes mine will call and make appointments for me because I really hate it that much. But I'm getting better. As always, we are always a work in progress, right? The EMDR therapy, I can't explain how, but it finally allowed me to process that event as an event in the past. And I don't think that I started healing from that for 14 years. And so this is the heaviest part of time blindness, of course, and the part that I truly hate to see in myself or others. And this is also when something happens and it's fresh and it's big and it hurts. And I share this as in the, like the child sense it seems like it's the worst thing in the world at that moment. And then time has passed and it seems like they've forgotten about it. If they go right back there the next time it's brought up, they're not doing it for attention. That is the time blindness. That is a way that it shows up in children as in, oh, their brain was just reminded of that. It feels like it happened all over again. And I share that because I'm a 41-year-old woman who has experienced it as an adult and as a child, and I see it in children. And it is important that we understand what we're seeing so we don't take it personally. Number six, difficulty making plans because we are more focused on the now. So this ties into making plans. Like making plans in the future is hard for so many reasons. One, we are very focused on the now, on the present, because that's what is in front of us and that's what we are feeling. For me, making plans in the future is hard because how am I gonna feel 
that day? How am I going to feel at that time? And usually the person who is making the plans is in a better state. Why do I ever make plans at eight or nine o'clock at night? Like I'm never happy when I have those plans. I have gotten better and stopped making them unless I have to. But the person who makes the plans is feeling a whole different way than the person who has to show up for the plans. And that I think is a big problem for us. But two, it also feels like the future will never happen. So let me just focus on the now, right? And this makes it harder for us sometimes to manage our money, save money. We tend to be more dopamine spenders now when we have it versus saving it for future dopamine that we may or may not get. And so I try to share it in those sense, like, oh, dopamine now? Yes, please. Or, oh, I have to wait like five to 10 years for this dopamine. That doesn't sound fun. I don't, option A, please. Uh, So just some perspective on that one. And then number seven is small tasks feel just as overwhelming as big tasks. And this is so true. Putting my shoes on can feel just as daunting as having to clean my kitchen and dining room. If I have to get up, I have to get up. And then also refer to non-working verbal memory. If I don't know what done is, if I don't know how long the task will take, if I don't know if I'll get sidetracked on a hyperfixation, like there are so many unknowns. I feel like I need to do a whole issue on ADHD and uncertainty and our issue with that which leads us to certainty, but we don't know where to start is usually the problem. And if we don't know where to start, the small task and the big task feel just as overwhelming because they both involve starting. Starting and then knowing the next steps, which we don't usually know. So yeah, a small task can feel just as overwhelming as a large task because They both involve executive functioning. They both involve steps that we may or may not know and a done that we struggle to envision. And that's it. So I'm going to review those. Number one, getting completely lost in a task, hyperfixation. What? Number two, freezing into a waiting mode, time avoidance. Number three, usually don't have an accurate idea of how long the tasks will take. Number four, not realizing how much time has passed. Number five, painful memories feel very fresh. Number six, difficulty making plans. We are more focused on the now. And number seven, small tasks feel just as overwhelming as big ones. So share with us in the Hot Mess Success community, how many of those have you experienced? How many of those do you see in your children? And now that you see them for what they are, will you act and react to yourself and others differently? Thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for learning and growing and giving a crap who you are and why you do the things that you do. It is so important, such important work. I applaud you for listening and being you. I'll see you guys next time.
Thanks.